Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio. We are back. Episode number eight. Episode number eight already. Number eight. Hard to believe, right? I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are very, very happy. We've been talking about this for a long time because we officially kick off our all Halloween month. Yes. I would say that of all the uh, all all of the movies that we've been talking about and the ones we've been most excited for up to this point, and we do have them planned out for a better part of the year, uh, I think that this is the one uh, month that we are looking forward to the most. Yeah, I'm a summer person 100%, but I do love October for Halloween. So shall we grab our book? And a broom. Oh, yes. 1993's Hocus Pocus. We open in 1693 Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, Thackeray Binks awakens to find his sister Emily has been abducted by witches. He then chases them into the woods where he finds their cottage, um, and they're using their witchcraft to literally suck the life out of Emily to make themselves young again. When Thackeray confronts them, they cast a spell on him, turning him into a cat for eternity. The Binks' father, along with the townspeople, capture the witches and put them on the gallows. But before their hanging, they cast a spell saying that they will return when the moon is full on all hallows eve when a virgin lights the black flame candle we fast forward 300 years to max dennison who has recently moved to salem from los angeles begrudgingly and believe me he'll let you know um while riding his bike home from school he's confronted by jay and ice two bullies who steal Max's shoes. Uh, Max then arrives home and finds out that he has to take his sister, Danny, trick-or-treating. While trick-or-treating, he ends up at the house of Allison, his crush, who takes them to the Sanderson sisters' cottage, which is now a museum that her family operates. Max doesn't believe the stories and lights the black flame candle, bringing the witches back. When the witches try to kill Danny, Max interferes by setting off the uh, fire alarm in you know, the sprinkler system with a lighter, and they escape with the spell book that the witches need uh, to continue their reign of terror and be successful in keeping themselves alive. The witches chase them to a cemetery uh, when they bring Billy Butcherson back from the dead to chase them. Now, Billy was a jaded, uh, unfaithful ex-lover of um, Winifred Sanderson. Apparently, he cheated on Winifred with her sister, Sarah. Uh, Winifred being uh, played by um, Bette Midler and Sarah being played by Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, The witches make their way into town where they confuse children in costumes as demons. We also get a really brilliant cameo um, by Penny and Gary Marshall. And they believe that Gary Marshall is Satan. They can they continue to call him master because he's dressed as the devil for Halloween. They just don't understand that Halloween is now a holiday where children and adults dress up and go get candy. So it is actually and run amok. Ugh, we'll, we'll amok, amok, amok. You remember how that ended for Sarah Jessica Parker? <laughs> 
Uh, the witches only have until sunrise to accomplish their goal of pursuing said children before being turned to dust. Uh, the kids find their way to their parents' Halloween dance, and they try to tell them what has happened, but nobody believes them. When, when the witches show up, the adults think that it's a part of the entertainment for the party. Uh, the kids lure the Sandersons uh, into the high school where they trap them in a kiln and burn them alive, believing that they've killed them. But after they go home, the witches return. Uh, Max and Allison open the book to try and reverse Thackeray's curse, but the witches are then able to take the book back and kidnap Danny because when they open the book, it sent some sort of signal uh, light force out into the sky and the witches were able to track them down. Sarah then sings while she flies over the town, lures all of the children out of bed, and guides them towards the cottage. Allison and Max go to the college and rescue Danny by using their car's headlights to fake the sunrise. So in other words, he goes in and tells the Sanderson sisters that the sun is rising. They believe that it is. He gets out with Danny. Turns out all they did was turn on the headlights to their car. They run back to the cemetery where Billy catches up with them. When Winifred sees them, she believes that she's finally bested them, but Billy cuts his mouth open and hurls insults at Winifred and seemingly changes sides to protect the kids. When the witches try to suck the life out of Danny, Max drinks the last of their potion that they made earlier in the film as a form of sacrifice so that uh, he's going to save Danny by sacrificing himself. But as this happens, the sun rises, turning the witches into dust. Thackeray finally dies and is reunited with Emily. The film ends with the spellbook's eye opening again, so it does leave room for a sequel. That, in very short order, is the plot of Hocus Pocus. Um, in terms of the script, this movie, like many like it, only existed because of when it was released. And by that, I mean this. In the early 90s, and even into the mid-90s, you had movies that had these kind of wacky, zany, borderline slapstick, completely unrealistic uh, screenplays and plots, but they were, they were successful because of the time. It's, it's what was acceptable in cinema. Careful, you are using some strong words. No, I'm not. Think about this. I want you to think about movies that came out around the same time that this did. My Boyfriend's Back, My Father the Hero, um, Weekend at Bernie's 2, Dumb and Dumber. They all have a very similar feel in how utterly ridiculous they are. And I, I think that this movie is a product of when it came out. I will agree with you on that because a lot of the characters are archetypes of the 90s. You have the clueless parents who seemingly have no idea what's going on with their children. Blank check. Good point. Yeah. Another it, good Disney movie. Yeah. And you also have the most pedestrian 90s bullies I've ever seen. We're going to get to them in a few minutes. Oh, yeah. We will circle around to them. The movie does open on a book. It seems like almost everything we talk about opens on a book. 
That's purely coincidence. I wouldn't say, I mean, it is a little bit of a Disney trope to use so many books, but I mean, these are the fairy tales. That's how most of them start. However, I think it's purely by coincidence we keep selecting films where it opens. At least this one was not on Blue Velvet, so we're changing it up a bit. Yes. Uh, It was almost distracting in the beginning. How many times Thackeray had to say Emily's name? Yeah. It It was a bit much. It does take you out a little bit. That and he says it so many times. I realize that, you know, when Sarah Jessica Parker sings, it does put children under, you know, into like a trance or like a hypnosis. But you would think with the amount of times that he was screaming her name to chase her down, it would have maybe broken that trance a little bit. Yeah, you would think so. That is really the only thing that ever takes me out of this movie is that whole beginning sequence because I do love this movie. Um, This was a staple in my household, not just at Halloween, but this was like, hey, you want to go to the video store, kids? And we would come back with Hocus Pocus in July. We absolutely loved this movie. And I still do. Like to me, nothing says October and Halloween like sitting down and watching this movie. And I think that a lot of people kind of have that same feeling. It really depends on what your traditions were growing up as a kid. Like for me personally, I saw this movie once, admittedly as a kid, didn't really like it and didn't watch it again until my mid-20s. But in my house, our two favorite movies to watch around Halloween time were the original Halloween and Fright Night. Those were the two movies that were like our staples that we watched every Halloween and Salem's Lot. We did watch Salem's Lot quite often. Those were the staples. It wasn't so much this. In terms of Disney staples, it was uh, Ichabod Crane and Nightmare. We never really honed in on this one, my brother and I. No, we watched this all the time. And even now, I think... It definitely has a nostalgia, and that's why people our age are still watching it. But when I say, like, sit down to watch this movie, like, I'm not talking about, like, background TV. Like, you know, sometimes you'll just throw the TV on, put something familiar on while you're doing something else. No, like, I will sit down and watch this movie. But I think the other thing for me why I like it so much is... You know, you hit on it before that this is a 90s movie through and through, and there are very stereotypical 90s characters. But for me, it's like watching a cartoon. You know, some of the secondary characters aren't as well developed, and even Max for me sometimes is a little stereotypical of like the jaded teenager. But watching Sarah, Mary, and Winifred it is like a cartoon come to life. And I think that that was done purposefully, but the actresses pulled it off so well. And you could tell, I think, that they had a lot of fun with this movie. Bette Midler is the perfect amount of theatrical and over-the-top. Yes. And it works. And I'm just going to say, in my notes, I I made a note that said, we're five minutes in, and I already hate the other two sisters. Oh my, hate? That's very strong. I just, I'm not a fan of Mary or Sarah. 
I think Winifred on her own can carry this entire movie because she does. She absolutely does. But they are supposed to be the goofy sidekicks. But they are so damn goofy. Like, they're goofy goofy. See, and I'm guessing that annoys you, but... To me, I find, I mean, I'm not going to say like they're endearing, but I think it works. I think they're funny. I think that they're good foils to Winnie when they need to be. They're good foils to Winnie when they need to be. But like, I just, it's me personally. I don't feel that they serve a purpose aside from being a foil. I'm tired of seeing Kathy and Jimmy's mouth sideways and crooked and Sarah Jessica Parker just being sarah jessica parker well you're right i mean not to jump too far ahead but the whole point of this movie is that thackeray couldn't save his sister so he's using max to avenge that by saving danny but the counterpart to that is that at the very end winifred says you're a fool to give up thy life for thy sister she does not feel the same way. She would not do the same thing. In fact, she is trying to extend her own life by sucking the soul out of Max at the very end. And she doesn't even try to get her sisters in on it. Well, yeah, and she she gets she mentions that earlier on in the film a couple of times where she slips and like corrects herself. Yes, exactly. So that's the thing. It's in her eyes, it's all about her. And she needs her sister's help to lure the children or make the potions or whatever. But like that's as far as it goes. So I think as far as them not being likable, you can't invest too much stock in them because otherwise, why do you care about Winnie getting what she wants? Oh, oh don't worry. I don't invest any stock into them. <laughs> don't you worry. You talked about the very beginning in, of this film is where you get taken out of it the most, and I tend to agree with you. There are certain things that happen in the first 10 minutes of the movie, aside from Mary and uh, Sarah being insufferably annoying, um, that do their part to take me out of it. For example, it might sound stupid, but I have to call attention to it. That cauldron that they're brewing their witch's brew in, Mm-hmm. that Thackeray tips over, he should have no less than second degree burns all over his hand. Do you have how how do you have any idea how much heat would be retained in that cauldron and he just picks it up and throws it over like it's nothing. I like I can't put my hand on a cookie sheet that's been out of the oven for less than 35 seconds without getting a burn. And he grabs an entire cauldron and pushes it over. I agree with you. I will give you that because he does not react to it at all. However, bigger picture, he's trying to save his sister. It's probably not the first thing on his mind. Yes, the dead child who's moving. Have you ever looked at her? She's moving. She's in that trance-like state. They gave her the potion, but they didn't suck her soul out yet. No, after they suck her soul out and they come back as their younger forms, she's moving. She's moving her legs. She's moving her head. Oh, you're talking about the actress didn't play dead. No, the actress didn't play dead at all. Not even close. No, I really didn't catch that. I Go back have. and watch it. No, it's 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 bad. Like it's it's jarringly bad. Um oh, don't worry. I still have the whole month ahead of me. I will be doing multiple more viewings. And the uh the spell book looks like the book from the Evil Dead. It looks like the Book of the Dead. So that within itself as well 
anytime I see that, I'm like, uh, oh, Evil Dead. W- uh, wait, what? And between that and, and s- the other things that I've mentioned so far, I'm very lost in terms of having a connection to this film within the first five minutes, which causes a problem because now I've got to sit through another hour and 25 minutes and try to like reset myself. Okay. All right. Wait, let's back up to the book. Okay. If you're going to personify a spell book, please tell me how else you're going to do it by giving it an eyeball. Of course, it's going to look like the evil dead book, but it was also made of the skin of the dead. Right. That's what, that's what Sam Raimi did in the evil dead. So what else are you going to do? You're going to put fur on it? No, I'm not saying you have to put fur on it, but it doesn't have to. I mean, it's literally the exact same book. Now, of course, Evil Dead at the time didn't have the following that it does now. And most eight-year-olds have not seen the Evil Dead. (laughs) And I'm not talking about the garbage remake. I'm talking about the original Sam Raimi um, student film, The Evil Dead. Right. Um. Most people probably were not as familiar with it, so they didn't think much of it. But for me, I'm talking about for me, it's it, it just it takes me out of it. That's just my opinion of it. That's fair. But I think that's something that's passable because really, how many other ways are you going to personify a spell book? especially because of the way it is later used in the film. She calls to the book and it responds. It's almost like a lawyer. It's like, it's like a dog to her the way that she calls it back or it signals where it is. So you can't just have a normal book with magical powers. It has to be personified in some way. So they do use that other than that it is made of human skin. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that's just that's just me. It could have been a leather-bound book. It just because it is the same exact thing, I have a problem getting, you know, circling back around. Where this film does pull me back in is they went for it when they showed yep. them getting hanged. Yep. That's exactly what I was thinking is that they do make it kind of cartoony because you have all these like crazy witches spirally shoes and you know the uh, striped stockings and it does fit into the context of the rest of the movie but they still do show the barrels being kicked out from under them and I didn't realize that until like watching this later in life that like that that is really dark Mm -hmm. and then it becomes even more sad because Thackeray is now a black cat. That's that's his punishment is that he has to live forever in the form of a black cat and live with his guilt for not being able to save his sister. So he tries to go to his father and like rub up against his leg and the dad kicks him away and he's like away beast. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is pretty gut wrenching when you think of everything that this relatively young boy has been through. He just lost his sister. He failed to save her. And now he can't even be with his family. What I couldn't figure out was how Binks is able to talk to Max, Allison, and Danny. He clearly has the ability to speak, but he can't speak to his own parents. Maybe it's because he was just turned into a cat and he hasn't figured out how to speak yet. Maybe he's trying to nurse his third-degree burns. Could be that. Um... But yeah, they went for it. And and if you I know you've been to Salem and I've been to Salem. This is how this stuff really was. Like I feel like 
Um, if you were um, a junior high school to high school student living in the Northeast, you took a you took a school trip to Salem. I didn't go on a school trip, but I have been. And that's how the that's how they used to do stuff. You would just get a a gang of townsfolk that would go out to a cottage, find somebody they believe was practicing witchcraft. In this case, these three actually were, and they'd hang them and they'd burn them. You know, it was it was a gang mentality. There is a reason that the phrase witch hunt is still used. Correct. Um, and this film did portray it, I think, fairly well. Um, I love that. How I, what I I love how into Halloween this town is. Yes, and how the kids, even at the high school level, just embrace it for what it is, and they love it so much. And you know, like you were just saying, we've been to say I had gone to Salem once. I think it was over the summer, and then back for Halloween because of the way that they do it up there. Um, it's the whole town is not as crazy during Halloween as it is made out to be in this movie where like everybody is just dressed up and it's a whole day. You know, it's like a national holiday the way this movie makes it out to be, but everybody is really into it and they really do embrace the culture and the history of what happened there. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too, is that they're also trying to kind of right the wrong in a way and show how wrong it was that all of these women were being accused for essentially no reason other than this group mentality and point the finger at you before it's pointed at me. Right. Um, but it's a good time. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. You should experience it. You should, you should give it a shot. Um, I don't like Max either. Like, he's just a jerk. You're the new kid in town. Like, who would go out of their way and try to be cool by openly insulting every person in the room, including his crush. As he said, his dream girl. He met. He has his dream girl that he met a week after he moved into town. So your, your ploy to make friends and impress your said dream girl is to insult them all openly. I will give you that. Max is not very likable. Like, like, there's almost nothing he does in this movie that makes him likable. Right. I mean, every other word out of his mouth is California and how he wants to go back and how he doesn't want to be there. But you're right. He's not even making the best of a situation by trying to make friends and trying to adjust to this new situation. We should introduce him to Anthony Kiedis. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of going in order, like like I'm taking this all in sort of with a fresh set of eyes because it had been a while since I'd seen this movie. I'm oh no, I watched it. I watched it pretty much every Halloween for the last couple of years, but most of the time it was like I came in on it after it started or I started watching it and then something else happened and I didn't finish the movie. Nope. This is drop what you're doing. Hocus Pocus is on. Yeah. But I think that's fair to go in order because one of the other things uh, and this is something that I kind of appreciate more so now is that everything in this movie happens for a reason. It is just straight cause and effect. Oh, yeah. Action and reaction. So I think walking through this in chronological order is a pretty good way to to analyze it. Yeah. Especially the- since we're kind of going count- point and counterpoint here because you're clearly not on board the way I am. 
Definitely not. It's not to say that I dislike the movie completely. It, it, I know it sounds like I do, and I'll give my final synopsis at the end. But you're right. Where the movie succeeds outside of a couple of likable characters, because there's only like three characters, maybe four characters in this movie that I actually like. The rest of the cast, I can take them or leave them, and I prefer to leave them. Starting with Ice and Jay. <laughs> Who are not only the worst actors in this film, <laughs> but they are the dumbest and least convincing bad guys in the history of cinema. And we've had like six Home Alone sequels <laughs> that didn't involve Marv and Harry. I will give you that. Did you notice every time they go to make fun of Max and bully him, all they do is imitate him? Yeah. Like, whatever they're doing, whether it be trick-or-treating, they're just like, ding-dong, oh, no. They really, they're just heckling him. They're not doing anything horrible except for stealing his shoes. That's not cool. But they can't even tie their own shoes. Why would they, like, why would you yeah, want to steal you need them? Nice cross-trainers, Hollywood. That's called product placement. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in there's this, a reason they want to take those shoes. Oh, yeah. And believe me, there's plenty of, pl of of product placement in this movie. But these two are just so un. They're 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 so devastatingly stupid that it, it's it's amazing to me that Max, who's supposed to be like super cool, California, don't want to be here, falls for their nonsense every time. Yeah. It would be the it would be the equivalent of you and I at 32 years of age if you convinced me every time you said got your nose and I had to run <laughs> to the mirror. <laughs> like eventually you have to know when to outsmart out to when to outsmart these guys. And you outsmart them from the beginning. They are just so they're just blunt objects in clothing. No, they're terrible bullies. They're terrible antagonists in every way, shape, and form. But I think that's also supposed to drive the point home a little bit more that he really doesn't care what happens to him. All he cares about is this horrible trauma of being moved to Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah, he could have just as easily turned around on his bike and took off through the cemetery he was cutting through. Who cuts through a cemetery to get home? Well... Think about how old Salem is. There's there's cemeteries everywhere. That's not something that's done for the movie. I mean, they did, I believe, shoot on location yeah, for this. You can go see the house, which, as I said before, I've been to Salem twice and am remiss for not going to check out the house. Um, all right, so I'll give you a point on that one. Sure, there are cemeteries everywhere. I wouldn't be cutting through one, but then again, I wouldn't be getting outsmarted by two of the dumbest human beings on the face of the earth. <laughs> What's with the fish bed sheets? Isn't he like 16 or 17 years old? What's with the fish sheets? Okay, do you or do you not have Ninja Turtle pajamas? You're, you're going to pick apart his sheet. First of all, of all the things you're going to pick apart about this movie, you're going to go after his sheets. But says the person who has Ninja Turtle pajamas, I don't think so. I do yeah. have Ninja Turtle yeah, okay. pajamas. Okay, that's what I thought. What's your next point? But I'm not sleeping in Ninja Turtle bed sheets. I don't have my old Hulk Hogan bed sheets. If it's they just... made them for a queen size bed, you would. 
the reason why I bring it up is because it, it goes back to he's supposed to be this too cool for school. Look at how a, I'm such a B.A. because I'm trying to keep this family friendly and he's sleeping in fishy bed sheets. It's I don't it's just it's so odd to me. Do well, you get does that make sense? Yes, it does. I didn't notice that and I wasn't even going to let you make this point. But now that you do get ready for this. The whole point of it, because they say it a hundred times, is that a virgin has to light the candle. So if he's got fishy bed sheets, maybe that just drives the point home that he's not getting any. Yeah. Oh, I'll talk about that, too. Yeah, um, no, we will, because there, there's that is another thing that even I will say takes me out of it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I love how this goon squad with the two morons oh leading the way Lord. can terrorize every child coming off of that same porch. And there's no adult that tries to stop them. There's no parental chaperones taking their kids trick or treating. The owner of the house is letting them stay at the end of the lawn and rob the children of the candy. That is true at that one house, but the rest of the town is getting ready to go over to town hall for their dance party. Okay, that's all right, fine. That's valid, but there's no adult that's going to stop them from doing this. But think about what we just said. It's Salem. This is their Christmas over there. They probably just feel like, oh, it's Halloween. Let the kids run. Amuck, 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 amuck. <laughs> it's not going to work out well if you try that again. Um, oh, by the way, Little Leaguer. He's a Little Leaguer. Where did you get that from? He said he was a rap artist when he left the house. And how did you get Little Leaguer out of this, Danny? He doesn't have a costume because I know that. he doesn't care. So I he's going with whatever. I understand that. But where did she pull Little Leaguer from? It was just kind of odd. Because she's trying so desperately to get him in the spirit of things. She wants to say that he's in a costume, even though she, he, she knows he's clearly not. I do have to say the most uncomfortable part of this movie and I don't think you're going to fight me on this her yabos that joke is so uncomfortable and what's amazing is they are just so nonchalant about what should be an absolutely humiliating event yeah well first of all uh Thora Birch plays Danny and this was I believe her first film she was a big child actress when we were kids yeah i don't know how and later went on to american beauty and hasn't really done too much since but i love her in this i think she's pretty endearing really i think she almost takes the prize as worst actress or actor in this film but the two chuckleheads do a good job of <laughs> keeping that title from her um i just you know because when when she the fake crying is really fake and really bad but so much of what she delivers, I just feel like is is it's so one oh one. Like I just I could tell she's clearly reading off off a page. Like very little that she says comes off as genuine. I think she plays the part of annoying little sister well. Um, but I will give you that. And I think it also falls prey to bad direction as well as bad editing, if you really want to get technical. Um it, I agree with you there. I feel like the pacing of this movie is a little laggy. 
because a lot of the times, specifically you notice it when Thora Birch is on screen, is that they'll cut to her and then the line starts after a couple of beats instead of just, and then she speaks. So I think that has more to do with the direction and the pacing of this film. Um, But back to what you were saying. The tone is very good in that scene because that is the most uncomfortable thing when she's talking about Allison's Yabos. I mean, they really did a good job of zoning into when you're a teenager and you've got a crush on someone and what could possibly be like the most humiliating thing that could happen. And I think they do a pretty good job of putting Max on the spot. Yeah, but the, Max likes your Yabos and they're kind of just like, they kind of chuckle it off like, I, I would have been out the door. I would have been long gone. I would have just grabbed her and be like, thanks for the candy, goodbye. And and I would have I would have done something to intentionally get myself expelled from that school so as to never show my face again. <laughs> and he just kind of stands there and takes it. Well, no, he's making bug eyes at her, like giving her the knock it off look. Yeah, bug eyes, but I just feel like there would be a more animated response in a real life situation that this is happening. And and for and on Allison's end too, like she almost seems like she's not phased by it. Like, wouldn't you put yourself in her shoes? You're like 17 years old. This guy that you don't really know, his little sister who you don't know at all, is feeding you this information. Like, it's kind of creepy. I feel like Allison is the type of gal who isn't surprised by people talking about her yabos. Could be. Speaking of, okay, now I'm surprised that those are your bigger issues with this whole sequence. Mine is that as a little sister, and there is a big age difference between oh, yeah. them, and I, that is obviously supposed to parallel Emily and Thackeray's relationship. Yeah, there's an eight to nine year age gap here. Right. How do you know what your brother refers to the female anatomy as? I yeah. mean, I, I guess every family does kind of have those words for yeah, you know, your privates that you know when you're a kid, especially like when you're the older sibling and you have a younger sibling, you know everybody's got their own names for whatever. So, yabos are passable in that regard, but like that is just an awkward thing for a younger sister to say. I the way that she says it, like she kind of had to think about it for a second. I got the feeling that maybe she had learned this from eavesdropping on his conversations with some of his friends back in California. Either that or like the first time we meet Danny, she is hiding in his closet to scare him. So you do kind of get the impression. And he, he, no, he does say that is I thought I told you to stay out of my room. So, okay, this isn't the first time that she's been snooping on him. So, but like, what were you snooping on him doing that? You know that? Yeah. He says, by the way, he says, he talks about California and says it, more in this movie than that little kid does in the wizard <laughs> that super mario brothers movie but all that kid could say was california <laughs> um <laughs> i love when when they finally get into the house he's like found a lighter it's like no kidding you've already had it in your hand and you lit it and you stared at it like found a light it was it was little things like that which i think go to bad direction and bad screenwriting. To touch on Danny for a second, I think you were sort of onto something with the bad direction, but I also think that, um, and maybe this is kind of to her credit, bad screenwriting in that I felt like she got the very vanilla 101 movie lines. 
like she said the stuff that the little sister was supposed to say. Right. She almost got like robotic, right? I was going to say Olsen twinned, if yeah, you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of Michelle Tanner. But but look at 1993. It goes back to what was acceptable and what was doing well in either TV or film when this movie came out. Yeah. Full House was huge. Oh, it's a shame that Double Double Toil and Trouble is not a Disney movie. Mm. Which is surprising. I thought that they had a Disney contract. But I guess they didn't. We may have to look into that because that was another Halloween staple. Oh, my God. I loved that movie. Um, Back to your lighter, though. Yeah. Um, Like, he just, like, it would have been one thing if you said found a lighter and then reached for it and lit it. But, like, he reached for it. He lit it. He stares at it and goes, found a lighter. No, you're right. Because it is such a weird character trait for him. Did you notice that since that point, though, that was like his weapon of choice throughout the entire movie? Every time something happened, he would flip back. It is, by the way, you know, they mentioned that the Sanderson sisters' home was turned into a museum. So this is your classic souvenir Zippo lighter. So the top flips up and, and the flame shoots out. But he wields this thing like it's a sword for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. Um pretty funny um it's like there's a time when danny is too cool for school and doesn't really want to go to the house and then seems to be over it and then she's scared again you know what i'm saying like she didn't really want to go to the house and then when she was there and she was kind of doing the oh you know that's not real and that's not true that was like kind of her mentality was like she kind of rolled her eyes at being inside the house but the minute that he wanted to light that black flame candle all of a sudden she's scared again well yeah she's a kid she was scared when they said that they were going to the house. Max convinces her to go because he wants to go with Allison, who is his crush, right. and spend a little bit more time with her. And he gets to be Peter Pan next Halloween to do it. Yes. In tights. Yep. But think about when you were a kid. If you didn't get your way, you know, your mentality is not, well, if you can't beat him, join them. She's trying to put up a front over how scared she is because she knows she can't get herself out of this situation. Yeah, I guess. Um, the practical effects in this movie are oh, really good. They're excellent. They're, I, that is what I love this movie for is because there's really not a whole lot of CGI and everything was practical effects. Yeah. When those floorboards start shaking and you have the green light with the smoke and the, the, um, the light bulbs start popping and turning and then like relighting, like it was really cool. And when they fly, when the Sanderson sisters fly, it's really good. Oh, like, yeah. You don't, like, this is one of those movies you half expect to see the cables, you know, but you don't. No, and to their credit, the actresses really did it. Yeah. Like, they actually had Bette Midler, Kathleen and Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker up on strings. Mm-hmm. Um. Back to the scene that you're talking about with the floorboards moving. This is when Max lights the black flame candle and brings the witches back from the dead and they fulfill their prophecy after they cast the spell. Um, The black flame candle is the only kind of bad CGI because obviously to get a black flame, like they had to CGI it. Um, So that's not that great. But the... Their house that was turned into a museum, that set is amazing. And the fact that they made it move, like, I just love the set. 
I think it works perfectly. Um, I think it works almost better as a museum than it does as their house because like you don't really see any beds or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But it is exactly what you think like a witch's den would be. Um, And then when they bring that to life and they start shooting everything off when the the witches come back, um, to me as a kid, that's what really like hooks you into this movie because it does look so real. And they did just enough but not too much to make it seem real. Absolutely. Um, and when I think it was Allison was like, what happened? And Danny looks at her and goes, a virgin lit the candle. I laughed hysterically. And I wish that's the last time they would have used that line. Yeah, they say it so much. I remember when I was a kid watching this. I don't remember how old I was, but I mean, I had to be in like elementary school. But you got to figure you were seven years old when the movie came out. Thereabouts, yeah. I asked my parents what it meant because I didn't know. And they gave me the parental explanation of it's somebody who has never been touched. And I'm thinking in my head, well, how is that even possible? Because I'm an overly analytical person and I'm thinking, well, when you come out of the womb, the doctor touches you. So like, is this just a fancy word for babies? And how did Max light the candle? And like, mm. it, it, it spun, I, I went down the rabbit hole with that one. But the way that they keep harping on it throughout the movie, it's not even like they're sending some abstinence message through this film no i don't know why they keep bringing it up the other end of it though is what i would have liked to see between the salem of the 1600s when the witches get hanged and now i would have liked to have seen like a montage of people trying to bring them back because allison does say her family used to own the museum but they shut it down because spooky things were happening so whether that means that it was haunted in some way or people were trying to break in to bring them back, I would have actually liked to see that play out because like you said before, it had to be a combination of full moon on Halloween, Virgin lights the candle. So I think it would have been cool to see, you know, maybe it's Halloween, but the moon's not full. Or maybe it is Halloween, you got the full moon, but somebody who's not pure tries to light this candle which could have made for a really funny scene actually and that's what i'm saying the way that they harp on it i feel like they could have done so much else with it so yeah that is another thing that does bring me out of it a little bit is that they keep returning to it but for seemingly no reason Mm -hmm. it surprised me when they flat out said the year 1993 in the movie because the movie because of the very 90s-esque characters, because of the clothes, the music, the cars, like, you know that eventually the movie is going to feel dated. Because they said the year 1993, it dates the film more than it already was. Like, you, you put a timeline on it. And I'm sort of surprised that Disney would have done that. I'm surprised... Yeah, that that they would have done it. But really, any kind of media tells you to stay away from like using specific dates because you automatically lose, you know, like a replayability factor. Correct. Um, The fish out of water element when they see the future 
is really funny. Yes. When they throw Jared, uh, when they throw Sarah Jessica Parker onto the road, and she's like, "Tis firm," and it was just, it was firm really stunt, firm stunt, firm stunt. Yeah. <laughs> the truth is, Sarah Jessica Parker had like six lines in this movie. She just said them over and over and over again. You mean like a muck? Yeah, like that. Um, I'm not like, going to do it again because they can't see your face and they don't understand how entertaining this is. Uh-huh. For some of us. Um, when that fire truck comes, though, and Bette Midler <laughs> just screams and throws her hands up, that was really funny. And they're like, they're witch hunters in black robes. Yes. Like, there were parts of this movie that I laughed at and I, I watched the movie admittedly. I watched it three or four times this week because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't something that I was missing because I hadn't been watching this movie my entire life like so many people because this movie seems like, or I know that it it means so much to so many people and it, it just seems like such a staple to not only Halloween but to Disney and I wanted to do it justice by watching it enough and really giving it a fair shake. These scenes of the fish out of water, no matter how many times I watched this movie, had me laughing every single time. Yeah, especially one of my favorites, not so much where they're out of their element, but when they think that Gary Marshall oh is God. the devil, that is the funniest scene in the movie. Yes. Penny Marshall is amazing in it as this sarcastic wife who wants absolutely nothing. And that's With the thing. chain smoking in her yes. cheese doodles. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, not only does she not care about Halloween, but she lives in Salem. Like, she is so over this. Yeah, and she was perfect casting for that because Penny Marshall, that's her general attitude is I'm over it. Yeah. From Happy Days to Laverne and Shirley to this, that was kind of just her delivery of almost all of our lines. But it's just a brilliant sequence through and through that like, you know, he's playing along with the Sanderson sisters thing because he thinks it's just more women dressed up as the witches for Halloween. I'm sure he's... He's seen it 12 other times that day. They go in the house. Winifred's walking around the kitchen and she's like, it's a torture chamber. Yeah, and she's great. going through all the appliances. Mary starts playing with the television because obviously they've never seen a television before. Um, Mira. Yeah. <laughs> and then Sarah Jessica Parker's starting to put the moves on him, which pisses Penny Marshall off even more. Yeah. And, oh, thou shouldn't talk to Master that way. Oh, my like, God. It was, that was funny. That was Funny. really good. Like they, 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 they just believed it. Um, when I forget which one it was, I think well, it would have to be Winifred because she was the only one with any sort of intelligence. When she was explaining, oh, no. when she was explaining how they're going to turn to dust forever, we're gone. It's dead. It ceased to be. I was like, oh, you stole that from Monty Python, did you? It does come straight out off the pages of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That is true. Um, but that's the writing. That's not Bette Midler's fault. Did you want to shoot the bus driver? Oh, my God. And that's so funny. No, I think he's hilarious. He's like this slimy guy that's just looking to pick up women. And he's got like this weird, not weird, but he's got like a Brooklynite accent. Well, maybe it is Which a makes Massachusetts. No sense yeah. in Massachusetts. No, but it wasn't the Massachusetts accent. Like he didn't oh, say. Oh, no, it was Brooklyn. Yeah. Listen, I believe that that gentleman drives a bus. <laughs> no doubt about it. That guy drives a bus. 
I think he's hysterical. He's such a sleazeball. Oh, but I think it so makes bad. for such a funny element because they buy right into it. Like they don't even know what a creepy guy he is because he's just telling them about this magical car that's going to transport them to, as he says, their most forbidden desires. And they're like, okay, let's go. Yeah. No, I I think that's another... That is really the only part in this film that doesn't really have a point to it well no it does it does because they run over Binks and Binks proves that he can't be killed yeah so it did so serve it a does purpose. serve a purpose but I I think it's hysterical get me one of those instant cool packs because you girls are giving me a fever <laughs> like he sounds like he sounds like a WWE superstar from like 1992 like I could hear Rick the model Martell delivering that line, but it came out of this guy. He's gross, but it is funny. But he's awful. Um, but the funny thing about that whole thing is that he is a more developed character. I know than the <laughs> than the bullies. Yes. Um, it's just I don't know. There was just something about him. I guess because part of it we've mentioned before, obviously. We live on Long Island, so we're in New York. I don't know if it's a geographic thing. I mean, look, there are people that have their stiflers everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> yeah. the people that think that they're too cool for school and they can get any girl that they want. But hearing terrible pickup lines like that and uh, to your, your deepest desires, your darkest desires, it's like that sounded so Christopher Walken. Um, it's A little, yeah. Like, I've heard it so many times from people here that are actually using it seriously. Like, they're not using it ironically or to be funny. Try being the female that it's used on. I can't even imagine. No, you can't. I'm not going to pretend can't. to. That's, and I think that's where, like, my skin crawls whenever I see him on the screen. That's probably why I find it so funny because there are actually men who think something like that would work. Mm -hmm. Spoiler, they can light the black flame candle. <laughs> um, uh, the Sandersons during trick-or-treating is so funny. Like when the girl dressed as the angel goes, bless you, and they start to scream. Yes. Like, it's just so much. This was around the time that you get that Penny and Gary Marshall uh, cameo. Um, the you also get a Mrs. Potts cameo. Do you? I didn't catch a hidden Mickey in this one, but there is a trick-or-treater dressed as Mrs. Potts. But think about it, 1993. Yeah. It was primetime. Yeah, that's true. The fake cop was really funny, too. Yes, except that's a great... He, except he has to ask about the virgin thing again. Yes. But that is another, like, well-developed character. For as little screen time as he has, he's another sleazeball guy. Because... The kids think that he's a real cop, but it's his Halloween costume, and he totally just humors them when they're going on this rant about how they brought the witches back from the dead. And then it wraps up with him saying, I put my life on the line to protect this town, and this is what you pull? Yeah, it was really good. Um, yeah, no, the, Medusa, the Medusa joke, because Penny Marshall had the curlers in her hair. And they yes. say, like, de the devil married, married Medusa. Medusa. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. really funny, too. But uh, the one that really got me um, that I think most people miss is when they call, um, they said, a chocolate-covered finger of a man named Clark. Because they got a Clark bar. That is probably my favorite line of this movie. 
but I feel like it gets I feel like it gets lost. No way. Not my a- family has been telling people to take their Clark bars and get out of the house for years since this movie. I'm not talking about that line. There's a line where they call they don't realize it's after they leave the master's house there's a chocolate covered finger of a man named clark because penny marshall throws it at them and she says tart face take your clark bars and get out of my house you have not been welcomed into my home unless you've been called a tart face i probably have and went what is that about and (laughs) and moved on with my life um does it seem odd to you that the parents seem to not care about an emergency once they hear that danny's okay like when they get to this dance and and um Max says to his dad who's in pajamas he's Dracula but he's wearing pajamas he's Dadcula is that what that is supposed to be <laughs> or is that just the laziness that got covered up pretty nicely i couldn't figure it out he's oh. wearing pajamas and then he's got like a dracula cape over it and i was like what is with this I I can't believe that you would have anything. Okay, that is my favorite scene out of this whole movie is the town hall. Right now, we're at the town hall dance where the parents are. They've escaped the witches temporarily, and they've gone to find their parents for help. The parents, along with the rest of the parents in Salem, are at the town hall at a dance. I think this is why everyone loves this movie so much, is because this town is so gung-ho for Halloween. And I feel like... It's such an idyllic sense of what you want the holiday to be. And they're totally embracing it. If you look around at the background extras and the attention to detail, I I don't think I'd have to watch this again because I can't imagine that they would just leave him in pajamas. We, then we'll have to go back and watch it. But I'm when telling every you- other background, I mean, you can see so clearly like there is a bellhop. There is. Oh, yeah, it was really good. Like everyone is just so on point with the costumes. Like, it's what you wish people would really do for Halloween and go all out like that. I'm almost completely certain he's wearing pajamas and he's got a Dracula cape over it. The only thing that I can think of is maybe it is part of the character because he does say it as a joke. He said, it's not dad, it's dadgula. And maybe it's supposed to be like a cheesy dad thing, but I, I've never caught that. I, I'm, I mean, I'm going to watch it again, but now I'm gonna, my eyes are going to go right to it. But when the parents, it's almost odd that once, you know, Max says, we have an emergency, and he goes, is Danny okay? And he's like, yeah, Danny's fine. And the dad was like, oh, okay. Like, it's like nothing else that you're going to tell me from this point forward matters because she's fine. Well... Well, yeah, obviously you want to make sure that your kids are okay. And I mean, if it was any real sort of emergency, like they'd probably know about it. If like there was a fire or something, they would have known. But I think part of it has to do with once they explain what happened, don't forget the parents are new to this town too. They don't know the history of the Sanderson sisters. Plus, you also, you know, seemingly the only adult who truly believes any of this is the teacher at the beginning. Right. Who's telling them the story. Who was also in Gremlins 2. Yes. And she had a very funny role in that too. Where she was like, she had a cooking show, but I think like everything she made was microwave food. I think. I could be wrong about that. I don't I haven't watched Gremlins 2 in a long time, but I just remember she had a thing for noodles and like she's stirring noodles and the gremlin comes out at her like on live television. That's where I recognize her from. And when I saw her in here, I, I went, oh, Gremlins. Cool. Her big claim to fame. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but I think... Hey, in my world, that makes her something. In this case, I think that the parents aren't... Uh, they they don't know the legend of the Sanderson sisters. I think this is them just being a little fish out of water because they've just moved there. And, you know, they didn't go to school that day. They didn't hear the story. Right. Well, I'm not, I'm not talking about they don't seem to care about this story because, of course, they're not going to believe what they're hearing. It's so far-fetched that this would actually happen. I'm saying as soon as they found out Danny was fine, it could have been like, Danny's fine, but Grandpa got hit by lightning. Danny's fine, but the house burned down. Like, And they would have been like, oh, but Danny's fine. It's just like the way that he was so dismissive. This is the dad. It wasn't even the mom. The mom was Madonna dancing over in the corner. Um, this was the dad. It was like the the air of it doesn't matter what you tell me now. Well, they do kind of, I guess that is consistent with the rest of the film because think about it. Max doesn't want to tra- take her trick or treating and they force him to. Right. So it does seem like she's favorited quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, back to that scene, though. Oh, it's the best scene in the movie. Hands down. This is not a musical by any stretch of the imagination, but the fact that they put a song in, they used it so perfectly. They executed the whole scene so well. I mean, I think that comes from the fact that you know Sarah Jessica Parker is musically inclined Obviously, you know, Bette Midler is musically inclined. I mean, she is. She's a singer as well. Um, But it was just so strategic when and how they placed this sequence in the film. And it's just amazing. It's a fun song. I love, love, love the Skeletons as the backup band. Yeah. Anytime I have ever tried to do skeleton makeup for Halloween, that is my go to reference. Because obviously you know that you're going to have a musical number in this movie because you have Bette Midler as the lead. Sure. But this you can't turn this movie into a musical. Right. I mean, aside from... It wouldn't have worked. Sarah Jessica Parker singing to Lord the Children, it's not even like they're breaking out into a musical number when she does that. It's just more of like a chant kind of thing. But this is just so well done across the board. And... You know, again, I said it before, everything in this movie has a purpose and a reaction. It's a great spot for a fun musical number, but they use it to cast a spell on the parents. They've got every parent in town in this hall, and now they've trapped them in there for the rest of the night so they can go and terrorize the town. Right. They're supposed to dance and sing until they die. Exactly. Um, My last note, and maybe it's because I work in food and beverage, But I feel like if you don't work in a restaurant, this would stand out to you. Why is the lobster tank in the back alley? (laughs) Like, that's a health code violation in the making. Would you want to eat from a restaurant that had their lobster tank in an alley? Maybe it's a Massachusetts thing. Maybe. I just don't... it, It was just... But the other thing was, it served... That was another thing that served no purpose. Oh, who's going? Okay, Angelo's going in the jacuzzi. It wasn't until Allison banged into the side of the oven that the oven opened and she got the idea for the kiln. And it's it's dual purposes. They go hide there after they escape the sisters at the town hall. And Billy. Now Billy makes his return. And Billy, yes. 
so they're hiding there, but they have to be at a seafood restaurant because when Mary tries to pick up their set, that's her skill is Sarah sings and she puts the children in a trance. Mary smells the children. She couldn't smell anything over the fish. So they did have to be at a seafood restaurant to cover up their scent. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that. Right. Or the kids didn't know that, but it, it worked. You brought up Billy before that they were running from him and we really haven't talked about him that much yet. Um, And he is probably my favorite character in this movie. Uh, Billy, as you said earlier in the plot, uh, was Winifred's ex-lover. And she brings him back and he's a zombie running around the town. Um, The reason that the witches have to use him is because they can't set foot inside the cemetery. So that's why they resurrect him and they use him as their literal feet on the ground to chase these kids down. Right. Um, I think he's such a great comic relief character because Winifred, before she poisoned him, sewed his mouth shut and he can't talk. So everything is expressed through a series of groans or bug eyes. And while the kids are trying to escape them, they're like, he gets he gets decapitated twice in this movie yeah. and he's running around searching for his head. And uh, I, I just think it's such a great bit of comic relief but ironically, he is so scary looking, which is a credit to the makeup artist because the makeup is unbelievable. Yeah, it's really good. It's it's probably the best makeup in the movie. When I was a kid, it's one of those things that I was like scared of and fascinated by at the same exact time because they just did such a good job with it. But like, I remember when I used to have nightmares as a kid like Billy was what was like chasing me in the dream. Like no, it didn't matter what kind of nightmare it was. Like he would be the monster in my dreams. And yet you continued to rent this movie over and again over again and again and again. Yes. But funnily enough, later on, my parents had caught it on TV one night. It was the making of Hocus Pocus. And like, that is really what, made me want to go into film was watching how they constructed this because it's something that terrified me so much but to see how it was put together and to realize like that there are people that craft something like that I just thought it was amazing that's very interesting yeah no and I mean for for as much as you know we talked about how much I love Little Mermaid and yes that was my first movie that I saw in a theater it's what made me love animation like this is what really made me like fall in love with movie magic right um yeah, I, I never even knew that. Yeah. No, it, it well, funnily enough, because, you know, I I started out wanting to go into makeup, but by the time I got to college, everything was going the way of CGI, and I didn't think there would be enough job security. I, and I wish they would just stop. Yeah. Like, they, they, they do CGI when it is not necessary to do CGI. The only thing they really did CGI in this movie, like we said, you know, obviously they had to remove the strings because that was all a practical effect. Uh, Binks was an animatronic, but they did CGI his face, but you can't really tell because he's a black cat. Like it's, it's seamless. And I actually, I think that was Pixar actually that did that animation. Did they? I think it was Pixar. Interesting. Um, and, you know, some of the spells were, you know, like when Winifred fires a spell off, it's, you know, the lightning CGI or whatever yeah, is yeah, yeah. coming out of her hands. But otherwise, I mean, that looks a little primitive, but the practical effects are just unbelievable in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, so you get to the end of the movie 
And something that I couldn't quite understand, and maybe it's because she was standing on the hallowed ground, but before Winifred turns to dust, when she is touched by the sunlight of the sunrise, um, she turns to stone. Where did they ever mention that the, any of them could turn to stone or would turn to stone? All they did was talk about turning to dust. At the sunrise, and yeah. And Mary and Sarah turned to dust. Why did Winifred turn to stone first? Um, I think you're right. I think it is that she set foot on hallowed ground because she fell off of her broom. But you would think it happened instantaneously because she fell face down. Once she's standing, it goes, it travels up from her feet. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also be because at the end of the film, uh, Max drinks the little bit left of the potion to save his sister and she's standing to suck the last bit of his soul out. Could be because she got some of his soul. Maybe. That may be a reach. I think actually the movie could have ended better if she would have stayed a stone figure. Clearly they were trying to set up a sequel with the eye of the book opening while the two chuckleheads were singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat <laughs> um, while they were put into cages, which they should have never been released from and I don't think that they have been they weren't but I'm saying like the actors I'm not talking about the characters I'm saying you should just oh, leave the actors you don't want them anymore. out in the world anymore okay. yeah and I I don't think that they have been but I doubt that has to do with not being let out of the cage I think anybody that saw this movie went <laughs> you and moved on with their lives um, any casting director that is but clearly they were trying to set up a sequel that up to this point has not happened um, I feel like it would have worked better if she would have just stayed this headstone. Especially because she would have been overlooking Emily Binks's grave. Yeah. Because that's where they were. Yeah, that would have been really effective, actually. A much better ending. Especially because they have toyed with the idea of a sequel quite a bit. So since essentially Mary and Sarah exploded, you can't bring them back. It would be Winifred that you're bringing back because she's just been fossilized. Right. Now it seems like you can't, I mean, they'll, they'll figure out a way some screenwriter, some screenwriter will write a way into bringing all three of them back. They will make a loophole or maybe they won't um, because they've been talking about doing a sequel to this movie for a long time. Now, when it came out originally, this movie was a box office bomb. This movie crashed and burned, and the critics hated it. It only became popular after home video release, release. and it became a cult classic. So you have very vocal fans, and the fans of this movie are vocal. Believe me, I'm I'm about to know about it. Um, (laughs) uh, They are very vocal, and they want a sequel. And it seems like, I want to say two or three years ago, it sounds like it was all but greenlit. Kathy and Jimmy... Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and um, Bette Midler Bette Midler were all ready to come back I mean how could you not their roles have almost become iconic they have become iconic I think well I think it's it's like I said before there's such a nostalgia with our age group for this movie um I don't know how I feel about a sequel though I mean like I I love the movie enough where like I do kind of want to see them brought back. Um, do I think we need one? No, I'm fine with this being the story 
and it just living and existing in the world that it did and them not trying to draw another story out of what is otherwise a very complete film. Oh, you mean like Pirates of the Caribbean? Oh, yeah. Don't destroy something else I love, Disney. (laughs) But I will say this, though. If they're going to do anything with it, I would take a sequel over a remake. And I think everybody tends to agree with you. Like even Bette Midler came out and pretty much crucified the idea that they were going to remake this movie. Well, I think that's it. We we just spent over an hour talking about how this is such a 90s movie. It is unique to the 90s. This story in this setting could only really work then. If you try to do that now they're they're going to do something stupid where like the witches are brought back via an iPhone and try to modernize it and that's it's just not going to work. Yeah, I I don't think this movie it certainly doesn't need a remake. I don't know if it needs a sequel. I can kind of take it or leave it, but I mean, do you have anything else to add on this, on the script or the characters before we kind of go into our final analysis here? Because I feel like you're going to have more to say about it than I am. Uh, no, not really. Just that, I mean, for me, it holds up a thousand percent. I mean, and and that is kind of validated by the fact that they are toying with an idea of the sequel. But even more so is that now you see the Sanderson sisters at Not So Scary. They right. bring them out in the parks this time of year. And I feel like a kid now may not necessarily know who they are. It's interesting that you say that because I think that if you grew up with this movie, if you're a fan of this movie, the movie holds up because of that nostalgia. Now, I watch this. The joy that I get out of this movie, um, I don't love it the way so many other people love it. It's Ugh. not something that was a staple in my house. Um, it's not to say that I dislike it. It's just there's there's as much about it that I really think is good as there is stuff that I kind of could do without. So I'm sort of just I could take this movie or leave it. I'll watch it every year that it's on. That's a thing. I will watch it every time it's on during Halloween. Um, but it's far from my favorite movie. Um, I think part of the joy I get from it is even though I didn't watch this a lot as a kid, when I do watch this, I do remember being a child. I remember when this movie came out. I remember when I saw it for the first time. Now, I can go back and watch a movie like Dumb and Dumber or Ace Ventura Pet Detective or Captain Ron or uh, Weekend at Bernie's 2. None of these movies are very good. (laughs) But I remember them from when I saw them the first time and thought that they were hilarious. You take a movie like that now and you re-release it to a modern audience, they're going to hate it. Those movies, like this one, I said it before, existed because of when they came out. Which is why I don't think this movie holds up. I think this movie is incredibly dated. And I feel that a modern audience, I think a a six or seven year old kid who's gonna sit and watch this movie for the first time. Now look, I don't have you know, we don't have a kid. And our friends that do have kids are not old enough to watch a movie like this. 
but I feel like because of the way that cinema has advanced, when you have kids that don't like to watch the original Disney animated films because they're so used to Pixar and anything else just seems very harsh and primitive to them, I don't know that this movie is going to translate over to a modern audience. But yet, I think we're going to see a revival with it because it's like you just said, people our age are having kids and the people that grew up on this film are going to show it to their kids. Maybe not a three-year-old, but I think seven or eight-year-olds, especially because the Sanderson sisters are still represented in the parks. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to see this come back around. Right. I, I mean, obviously, a lot of that is to appeal to the people who have you know, the income to go and spend extra money to go to Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party. And clearly they're catering to an audience of people that are bringing their kids there because they have the money to spend and the kids are of the right age where they can expose them to this. And they might be testing the market. I, I wouldn't put it... Disney is... Everything Disney does is so strategic. It wouldn't surprise me in the very least if part of bringing the Sanderson sisters into Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween is because they're using it as a market test to see if they're marketable if it's even worth doing another movie. Interesting. I did not even think of that. News for this week. Um, we talk about the Disney streaming service a lot because it's sort of what's big right now because they're, as we get closer to the launch next year, more and more information's coming out. Bob Iger released this past week that 500 movies... 500 movies from the Disney library and 7,000 episodes of Disney TV shows are going to hit this service. I don't think I even knew that there were 500 movies. I mean, I guess if you if you combine it with the Buena Vista and Touchstone properties, yes, but wow, we are going to have a lot of episodes. Now, what I'm interested in is whether when they launch, everything's going to be there right away or if they're slowly going to roll some of it out. I have to imagine they're going to slowly roll it out. Yeah. And they said that Ant-Man and the Wasp will be the last of the Marvel movies to go to Netflix. Interesting. Um, well, that's good. I hope that that has a, a second life on Netflix. Second one did okay. The first one, not so much. But I, I liked Ant-Man. Yeah. I, thought I love it was Paul really Rudd, good. though. Yeah. He's good in anything that he does. I don't know that I've seen a movie of his outside of maybe Halloween H2O. That uh, which I will be watching this month. Um, that I really didn't like him in. Yeah, I think Paul, I liked him in pretty much everything. Paul Rudd can do no wrong by me. Yeah, um, and interestingly enough, as well, um, Bob Iger also talked about Star Wars because Solo came out last week, um, and he took the blame and the fault for pumping out too much Star Wars too fast. You think? And Solo took a bath because they believe a lot of people were so over Star Wars. It is doing well in the home video release, but people were kind of over like another Star Wars movie. So it seems like with the exception of the next Star Wars movie that's coming out to close out this next trilogy, which I believe is due out next year, it seems like all other Star Wars films right now are on hold. And I have to wonder if this Favreau Star Wars series for the streaming service is going to go right away or if they're going to hold that too. That's interesting. I kind of forgot about that. I, I was thinking more that now you're going to put the pause button on Star Wars when you're bringing it into the resorts. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and an MGM. Right. So that's kind of poor timing, but I will say that I'm glad that he recognized that now because there are a lot of things that got oversaturated, like pirates, as you said. Yeah. Stop killing things that we love. Yeah. We'll get to those movies eventually. For this month, though, it's Halloween. It is Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. So if... uh, In the words of Jack Skellington. Yes. Teaser. Spoiler. Next week, Nightmare Before Christmas. Both of these movies celebrating their 25th anniversaries, by the way. Yes. And I think they're getting Blu-ray releases, too. In fact, I think I think they already got them. I want to say it's a combo. I want to say that they were on the shelf next to Solo when I picked it up at Target last week. That just makes me very happy, though, that they're doing a comedy. These are my two favorite Halloween movies. Yes, um, I love Nightmare. I mentioned before that was one that was a staple for us. But I'm going to save the rest of my the rest of my fanning for uh, for next week's show. But if if you uh, enjoy Nightmare, please come back and visit us again next week. If you've got friends or family that like Hocus Pocus or Nightmare or any of the other films that we've talked about, please go ahead and uh, and spread the word. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All of the latest news is there up to the minute when we when we put out a new show. We do do them every Tuesday. Uh, just help spread the word and spread the love, man. Um, and if you can, uh, you know, if you want to rate us, subscribe, anything, anything you can do to to uh, to put it out there. And of course, we love to hear from you too. So for Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. A mug. Oh God. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.